Welcome to the Artists in Residence podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bergay, a creative producer and artist living in New York City, who up until a few years ago suppressed my innate need to create. Once I unleashed my creative side again and ignored the voice in my head that said I'm not talented enough, I'm not good enough, I don't have the skills, my world opened up. I started creating art again, I started this podcast, and I'm currently curating a virtual open studios event. Today, you'll meet Clarissa Castillo-Ramsey, an artist, organizational psychologist, coach, and most recently author. Clarissa's mission is to help women embrace their talent, skills, and intuition at any age. Clarissa is a shining example of someone who followed her interests and pivoted when she wanted something more. I hope her story inspires you if you're feeling stuck. So, hi, Clarissa. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for being my fifth artist in residence. Woohoo! Very exciting to have you here. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because of your mission to help women embrace their talent, skills, and intuition and Earlier this year, when I finally accepted to myself that I am an artist, (laughs) you were one of the first people that I spoke to that really gave me kind of words of encouragement. And like, I really appreciated it because it really shows not that just you're like another artist trying to navigate this world, but your ability to reach out and connect with people, which I think is a big part of who you are and your story and part of your work, which we'll get into in a minute. But I really just wanted to take a moment to thank you and say from one artist to another, it was really encouraging to hear how you put your art out there and how you did the DIY galleries. And it really gave me all the sense of like, if I really want to get my work out there, I have to put it up for myself. I can't wait for a gallery to call me or to kind of be seen by someone else. I have to put myself out there. Oh, you're so welcome. Absolutely. I think, you know, as artists, we tend to be, I mean, at least it's true for me, very hard on ourselves. And is my art good enough? Am I good enough to be an artist? And I'm just here to say, if I can do it, absolutely, you can do it. And we all have our perspective and our strength. And our art is going to resonate with somebody. I truly believe that. So I'm happy to be a resource for you. So anytime. I appreciate that. So enough about me. I would love for you to take us back a little bit in time to get to know young Clarissa. What were you like as a child? What were you interested in? And when did you realize that you had a love for art and connecting with people? I have always loved art. My earliest memories. I um, was born in Detroit. In my first five years, I was in Michigan. And I have pictures of me with a little artist beret and a smock and a paintbrush in my hand. And I just always loved to draw. As a child, I was pretty introverted, very you know shy. I would always hide behind my mom's skirt at a party until I felt comfortable enough to hang out with the kids. And then by the end of the party, I never wanted to go home. And that's just kind of who I am is just that I was always that child who kind of like observed. And I also would notice when other children were kind of by themselves and alone. And those are the people who I always wanted to connect with because I just always have this part of my being of not wanting people to feel alone. My mom and dad are both physicians, they're both doctors, very practical, very pragmatic folks. They came here from the Philippines to do medical residency. So I remember telling my mom that I wanted to be an artist when I grew up. And, you know, she kind of crushed me. She was like, you know what? You'll you'll probably be famous after you pass away, like, you know, Picasso. So you might want to really think about doing another career. So that was, you know, kind of like my early memories of putting myself out there as an artist. When 
your, I guess, parents probably kind of pushed the more practical agenda. How did you then take that advice and what did you study in college and how did that kind of parlay you into your first career? So from then on, I just felt it's okay for me to still draw and do art, but really do it more of a hobby. So I continued to draw and to paint. In high school, I remember taking art classes as well. But then when I transitioned to college, I just felt this extreme pressure to do something practical, go to business school. And so I went to Boston College and took up marketing and human resource management. Because I think really those two themes are constant themes in my life, something creative and something around helping other people. That was kind of how I transitioned my love for art and my love for helping people into something more practical was to do those majors. And honestly, like in college, I just kind of felt like I was trying to fit the mold for my parents, not really living for myself. And I just was given the program of you know what? You work hard to get good grades. You get in a good school. You get a good job. You make the money. And so kind of that path. And for me, just getting a job after graduating, and I graduated in the mid-90s from college, still really just didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I had heard about this career in graphic design, but I just thought that was like too far out for me. And then on the people side, I remember taking a class called organizational behavior. And I loved that class. That class was the one class that I really felt like I resonated with. But because that field was new as well, I just thought that that would be too scary for me to pursue for whatever reason. That's just how I felt as a 21-year-old. So I pretty much just took whatever job came my way. And for me, my first career was in retail management. That's what I was. I was in the manager and training program. And, you know, I learned a lot of good people skills, how to run a team, manage a team. But the art side just kind of fell away. So I just focused, you know, a couple years doing that. And then, I don't know, like after a couple years, I just picked up doodling Again, I would doodle my photo albums, remember photo albums, and I would just kind of decorate them. And my coworkers saw what I was doing and they were like, oh my God, this is so good. And why don't you pursue art? So then I decided to take a class at University of Massachusetts, 2D design, and took that class, thought that would be a good foundational class for me to get back into it. And my art teacher was just a crack the whip kind of teacher. And every week we would have to do a project, put it up, get feedback, get criticism. And I swear all of my projects sucked. And she just was so like mean. I just got a lot of negative feedback from her. Her parting advice to me was just because you like a certain kind of dance doesn't mean you can dance. It crushed me. I, I was like, great. Well, maybe I'm really not cut out to be an artist. But then I also have this little, you know, quiet rebel attitude as well. Like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to prove you wrong. So I decided um, after a couple years in retail, after taking this art class, I decided to get up and move. And my brother was in California. My best friend was in California. So I decided to move from Boston to the Los Angeles area. I decided I'm going to shift careers. So this was kind of like my first pivot. And I just said, you know, I'm just going to go. Let's see what happens. And didn't have a job, didn't have anything really lined up. And I decided that I was going to pursue a career in graphic design. 
kind of just took this huge leap to go across the country and like start a whole new journey. Yes. So I moved there again. No, I was like, how am I going to make some money? I mean, I had some money saved up. And so it was just getting into the temp world of taking whatever job I could take. And then I found a school that taught graphic design. And I thought, you know, I think this is a little bit closer to what I want for a career. It's artistic and practical. I know I can make money. And so I took this advanced course of just accelerated course. So what ended up happening was I was temping until I found a job. I ended up working for Caltech, the university. That's where my brother went to school. And I was just had this admin gopher job. Like I was doing this and that and all the things just supporting a department. And then I went to school at night. So I worked eight to five and then I went to school six to 10, Monday through Friday for 18 months. And then after that, it was tough for me to get a job. And again, I was kind of faced with, am I good enough? You know, this kind of recurring theme. I stuck to it. And my mom was a really great support to me at that time. She just would send me notes of encouragement and you can do it, keep at it, don't give up. And so finally, I got hooked up with this design company. So I was able to transition from just my job at Caltech. Eventually, they kicked me out. They were like, okay, kid, you've got this degree. You know, you're doing graphic design. We are not holding you back. So we're cutting you off. So that kind of, you know, put me in another pivot moment. And it was tough getting into the graphic design world, but I just stuck to it, kept working on my portfolio and found this design agency through a friend. And so I was starting to get graphic design work that way and building my portfolio. And then eventually I got a full-time job working for a coffee company as their internal graphic designer. So that was kind of like my next stage of career. And how long were you doing that before you decided it was time to pivot again? I was doing that probably about like seven, eight years of doing graphic design with that company. And I loved it. It was the company was young and it was a coffee bean and tea leaf. And so I really enjoyed working there, working with different people and just got exposure to working for an international company, which I really loved. I don't know, every seven to 10 years, I just like to shake it up and move into something else. Towards the end of my career there, I just, you know, felt like, you know what, I, I, really don't have this desire to be the art director or the chief marketing officer or anything like that. And what started to happen to me was I just was longing for the people piece because I would say like throughout my working career, I've also been that person that people would come to and want to get advice from or be a sounding board to. And which is kind of how I am with my friends as well and family. And so I just thought, you know what, it might be time for me to pursue something on the people side of business. And that's kind of how I transitioned into the organizational psychology piece. By that time, I had bought a home, but I still needed help, you know, paying the mortgage. So I rented out one of my rooms and my roommate went to California School of Professional Psychology, and she was a clinical psychologist. And it was just really interesting, you know, connecting with her, talking with her. And before I decided on the organizational piece, I was entertaining clinical psychology. And so we were talking and she said, you know what, Clarissa, from what I know about you, your track record of working in different organizations already, she was like, I think you should really pursue or at least look into organizational psychology. 
you'll make more money. It just seems something up your alley. So I took her advice and I went to an open house of the same school and just really loved what I heard. And I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is the career that I think I had been really wanting back from my Boston days. So I decided to enroll in that program. And it was for organizational psychology with a focus on organizational development. So while I went to school, I was wrapping up at the coffee bean. And then I had to find another job because they were, they were like, okay, so this is no longer working for either of us. So they basically were like, all right, let's part ways. Let's agree to part ways. And I didn't have anything lined up again. So I just, you know, had my savings and I had my network too. You know, I had a family who wasn't going to let me fail. And so I definitely felt supported, but I had a couple of months off between jobs. So I visited my best friend. I just took time to look around for another job and I was still going to school. So I ended up working for a company that was an HR consulting company um, in downtown LA. Honestly, I really wasn't in love with the job itself. But I'm one of those people who believes, you know what, I'm just going to make it happen. I just need a foot in the door. I just need to get in. I just need to see where this takes me. And it's, you know, HR, human resources related, consulting. So I thought, let's give this a whirl. Oh my gosh, it was a job in compliance. And I am not a rules and regulations person. (laughs) But I thought, okay, let me put a, a positive spin on this. Like, let me just brought in my repertoire and let me just see what positive I can get out of this job, out of this role. So it was very painful. Um, It wasn't ideal at all. My boss, God bless him, micromanager and not really someone I connected with well. But what I can share is I always try and look for the positive in it. Like what kind of experience am I getting out of this? So in this organization, everybody had to sell on some level. So what that experience taught me was just, I had to do cold calls. I had to talk to members who needed affirmative action compliance packages. So that's what I was doing. So it really just was a a lesson in getting out there, making the call, getting rejected and getting wins too. And also it just gave me another perspective of working for somebody who I just didn't really connect with. And it just gave me just insight on what kind of leader I wanted to be. So that was another big lesson that I got from that. And then within that company, I was able to get on a consulting job with one of the sales people. So that was neat. I got to put together a package for a law firm on just different HR buckets. And then eventually... I was running a department within that company overseeing the member services department. So like the customer service department, if you will. And again, it wasn't necessarily like my dream job, but it really just gave me a lot of experience working and running a team and building that rapport, building trust. Yeah, it seems like a lot of your experience just kept building and complementing and you took a lot of value of the things that you learned from each experience, what you like, what you don't like. And it seems like that helped propel you into like the next thing. So really valuable thing to be able to realize the good that can come of some past roles or positions or things that maybe might have not have been the best fit, but you try to kind of do the best that you can from that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's really how I 
try to look at life is just, you know, when when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And so I stayed at that company for about three years, you know, and also during this time, like I am big on the self-development piece, always wanting to develop myself. So during this time, I was taking different courses and I remember I was really at, a, at the edge of my rope with this job. Like, you know, I, I'm very positive, but I just knew that, okay, this is not for me. This is not the job that I want. And um, grateful that I have it, grateful that it, I have the income. And it's time to pivot again. Like, you know, so it's a little bit before my seven year mark, but three years in, I just thought, okay, I've got to do something else. And that's when I started to think about coaching. I even did a coaching certificate course through Coaches Training Institute. So I I did that. And I just put it out there to my network saying, hey, I'm interested in coaching. You know, usually that's not the first career of an organizational psychologist, although now it's more prevalent, I think, you know, that you're seeing a lot more coaches nowadays. But I put it out there. And I remember being in this workshop with a friend And we were just talking about our dream job. And I said, you know, I really think I want to pursue this coaching thing now. And I will never forget it. So we we had a lunch break during this workshop. The workshop was called The Bigger Game. I had a voicemail. And it was from one of my friends from the Coffee Bean from two jobs ago. And she said, hey, I think I have the perfect job for you. It is as a professional development coach. So if you are interested, I think, you know, I think it's pretty much yours if you want it. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Are you kidding me? And I just remember being done with that lunch break, going back to the, to the class and just saying, you're not going to believe what happened. And that's the, where I'm at right now is with this organization. It's a healthcare organization. And I started out as a professional development coach, just coaching different teams in different dental practices on soft skills, leadership skills, that kind of thing. And I have progressed within that company, first doing that and then overseeing training and development, developing you know programs, um, around you know leadership development, just soft skill training, and then more recently transitioned into another position where I'm also overseeing recruiting. That's kind of has been my full circle. So I am finally doing what I wanted to do back in the day when I was in Boston. So that's where I'm at right now. That's great. And where do you find time to make art? Right. Everybody is like, oh my God, how do you do this? So during all this time. I was dabbling a little bit in art, like in the early 2000s, when I was still working at the Coffee Bean, going to art retreats. And then it kind of fell, like stopped again when I went to grad school. Then I finished grad school, focused on my career, and I really didn't start picking up painting again and really doing art until uh, late 2017. I had a friend who kept bugging me to join her in this open studios art space that we have here where I live. And it took me like two years for her to bug me before I realized like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm not creating and I miss it. So I just started painting again around that time. And where do I find the time? I think for me, it's what I need to calm myself down. I don't know. You're an artist. You probably get that. Like it's what I need to nourish my soul because the job can be taxing, 
dealing with people and their issues, your own issues, it can be really taxing. And so for me, I'm a morning person. I'm one of those 5 a.m. clubs, although maybe not so much during these COVID times. It's more like 6, 6.30, but I'm definitely a morning person. That's when I have the most energy. If I have an exhibit that I know I'm going to be participating in, that's really where I find the time. It's just in those quiet moments of early morning or the weekend. And I'm a fast painter. You know, I'm an abstract artist. So I can have like three canvases going on the dining room table and I'll just start one, feel it out, and then just kind of feel at a good spot and I'll just move on. So I'm also a quick painter and I think that helps. You know, some people really get, you know, they'll mull over a painting for weeks and months or years. You know, like that's like one of the things that, you know, in gravitating towards collage that I didn't have to labor over it for weeks or months like I would a film. It was something that I could just do easily and quickly. Sometimes I would do a few in a sitting. And then most recently, I surprised myself and actually took time and spent six weeks on a piece, lots of layers. It's actually like a nice thing if you have an art practice that is something that you can kind of do in a short compressed time, especially when you're juggling as many things as you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah you know, my day job is a project manager. So I'm dealing with people and personalities and like that organizational behavior is one of those things where I'm always like, I should probably take a class on that. But I'm like, I just can't. <laughs> you know, there's like <laughs> such an interesting thing to really learn about human dynamics and how to communicate with people. And one of the things that people have the hardest time doing is, you know, they may be dealing with something in their personal life and they bring it into their home space. You know, there's so much emotion and things that happen on a daily basis in an office setting, probably a lot less nowadays if people aren't in an office. But the good thing is that you could take all of that and you could put it into your artwork. <laughs> you know, it's like another base for those emotions and feelings and things to kind of get expressed. So it's good to have a, a creative outlet. And that's like one of the things that I try to champion is that I, you know, if I have just a little creative practice, you know, sketch, a quick painting, a little collage, you know, you don't have to be taking a semester, you know, six months in France to, you know, work on your a special project. But like just little things you can do that can help balance um, and make you feel more full as a human. You know, you said you're a passionate human. And I think however you can feed the passions, I think even if you can do it in little bite-sized pieces, it's so important. So that kind of gets me to, I'd love to hear more about Painting Your Path, which is your book. How did this idea come about? How did this process start? How did you get published? So I have been in my current space for, for now it's 10 years. I think I'm just always going to be this person who is always asking, okay, what else can I do? Like, I want to keep growing, evolving, developing. So this book actually started towards the end of 2018. And I know you and I are connected through Kathy Heller's group, her podcast, and I discovered her podcast that year and just listening to a couple episodes, I just decided, I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book about my experiences. And then I just decided to do it. And I was just in a quandary about life. I'm in my midlife quandary and also talking with friends who are, who are my age a little younger, older, I'm in my late 40s. And everybody was kind of feeling the same. Like, am I doing all the things that I really want to do? Am I doing the things that are showcasing my talents? 
am I at the best career for me? You know, and I had all those things in my mind too. And so I just decided to write about it. And I just put it out there to Kathy's group, to other groups, to my friends, putting out a call to interview. And I got a lot of good responses. So I just started recording. And I really had no intention to talk about my journey. It was really more, I wanted to just highlight these other women. And all the books that I found around you know, women's lives, women's stories, they were books about famous women. And so I just wanted to have the everyday woman's journey. I ended up capturing and publishing 21 stories. And along the way, you know, the several of the women in the book said, well, are you going to share your story? And at first I was like, nah, I think I'm just going to make this all about you guys. And these are your stories. But so many people asked me and then I just thought, you know what? Well, maybe I should, you know, why not? And so I decided towards the end of this to include my chapter as well. So my chapter is in there too. So a lot of what I'm sharing here with you is in there and other things. But I just thought, you know what, it is important for us to hear each other's paths and, and what we're going through, because you never know who is going to resonate with you. And, you know, I'm not the most verbose person. So for me, writing is really a way to express myself. So I just decided, okay, enough people are asking about it. I think I, I think I'll include it too. And I just had no interest in trying to find a publisher. You know, I'm not a famous person. I'm not Marie Forleo. I'm not Kathy Heller. I'm not Oprah Winfrey. So I just decided I'm just going to self-publish this on Amazon. And I decided to go that route because one of the ladies I interviewed had also published a couple books. And she said, you know what, Clarissa, if you want to use them, it's easy, no hassle, and it'll get done. You just got to do it. And so I decided I was just going to self-publish and go that route. But really, that's it. Like, I just, you know, was curious about other women's stories, wanted to be inspired by them, wanted to connect with them, and just really share stories about shifts and pivots. So that's kind of how the book all came together. Yeah, I love that. I especially like the particular angle of focusing on not famous people. You know, I think, as I like to say, like, everyday humans you know, we're always looking at the 1% or these like fairy tale stories of people from zero to a thousand overnight, you know, like overnight success stories or, you know, and I think there's just so many other people that look at that and say, that can never be me. And so they don't pursue things that they're interested in, but there are enough people who are just everyday humans who are, you know, exploring new avenues in life or starting a year later in life or, picking up, uh, you know, a paintbrush for the first time of a certain age, and they're just going for it. And I think it's so important to tell those stories. Do you have a favorite story from the book? There's so many stories, but the one that is really coming to mind is a friend of mine, Denise. And she's somebody that I worked with at the Coffee Bean. And Denise would have these parties. She called them Stitch and Bitch. And it was just, we were all together getting crafting and she was into, you know, knitting. And I, of course, was into painting. And then I remember a friend was wood whittling. And so we would just come together and just create. And it was just so much fun. It was something we tried to do or she tried to do once a month or once a quarter, something like that. So anyways, that was kind of like a, a thing that happened back in those times. I just remember interviewing her and it was 
at the time where she just decided that she was like, you know what? I love that so much and I just want to continue doing it. And I remember her just being a little apprehensive about it, but she did it. And she just now has this community called Bees Hands Collective. And so she just hosts different artists, creatives. She has a workshop space in Venice, which, you know, now we can't really do use right now, but she took it online and she quickly, you know, shifted to that. And to me, that story stands out because it was just her having that idea, having fun, and then really transitioning into it being her career now. And I think we have to go back and look at, well, what are the things that we're interested in? And why not try and pursue it? Why not try and make something of it? So her story sticks out to me because it's just so great. I mean, I know her personally and just seeing the growth and the change and the, you know, all the, and the following on Instagram and just really proud of her. That's really great. And as a coach, when you work with people, what do you see as their being their biggest barrier to exploring a new path? I think it really is just this notion of I'm not good enough, you know, and I can certainly relate to that too, or just scared to put anything out there. It really is just not trusting your intuition or thinking that you have to go from A to Z. I have some people in my life who wanted to do a clothing line. And at first they were just like, ah, who's going to want it? No. And just just a lot of self-doubt. And I think that's really what it is. It's the mindset. If I'm going to call it out, I think it's just that you know, I think a lot of times people that I have worked with kind of have a fixed way of looking at things like, this is how it's always been for me. So this is how it's always going to be for me versus, well, you know, how else could I look at this situation? How else could I look at my current state through a different lens? So I think a lot of it just has to do with, you know, I'm not ready. I don't know how, and just kind of falling into thinking that you have to go from A to Z right away. So that's what I have noticed. Do you have any quick advice for someone who is, you know, maybe feeling that right now? Maybe they're listening and they're thinking like, I want to pursue something, but I don't feel like I'm good enough. Or I had a lot of those thoughts and in, in that for a long time, people would say, are you an artist? And I would say, no. You know, I had a certain definition in my head of what an artist was. And I was like, oh, but what would be kind of a, your quick advice to someone who has that type of mindset? Like, is there something they can do to kind of start shifting it? One exercise that I have used is I just ask people to think about all the things they have accomplished in life. Think about all the great things you have done. And I don't believe you if you say you, you haven't done anything. That's just not true. It's just not true. So I think, you know, when we get into that kind of mindset of, I can't just start thinking about all the things that you have done, make a list. No thing is too small. Um, No thing is too big. I got up today and I Googled the word artist, you know, whatever it is, just make that list and just start there. Because I think our thoughts really can take us to a negative place. And yes, you know, it's good to know what's underlying. And absolutely, you know, you always want to do that. But I think for the, you know, in the moment, really also trying to shift it. And you can also use that same brain power to think about what you have done in life. What have you achieved? What are your success stories? 
and just write them out. Don't screen it. Don't judge it. And just start thinking about that. I think that is a just a quick exercise that people can do. That's great advice. I have done a similar exercise myself and I really found it is something now that when I am feeling a little less than, I go back and look at it. We've even gone the extra step of rewriting it to kind of put more oomph into the positive part of the story, as opposed to sometimes it starts with all the things that contributed to why you felt like you weren't enough or your work wasn't enough. So I think that's it's a, a great exercise. So this concludes the, I'd say, the standard interview portion. Now for the lightning round of questions, what was your favorite childhood bedtime story? I just remember Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I just remember my mom reading me that story. I remember having a little book. So that is one that I just remember my parents reading to me over and over and over again. That's a good one. I actually drew with crayon all over that book. I think. (laughs) (laughs) When I go back and visit my family and I'm going through the things downstairs I'm supposed to be getting rid of and I go through old books, I just see like all the scribbles everywhere. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? my superpower. I wish I could just speak and understand. I don't know if that's cheating, but like, you know, just be able to be dropped into any place on this planet and just be able to know the language, read the language, be able to communicate with other people around the world. So just being able to know like all the languages of the world. That's so fitting with your like innate need to connect and work and help people. I think you already have some of that superpower. Uh, my last question. So I know that at one point you were holding vision board workshops. So if you were making a vision board right now, what would be some of the imagery that would make up that board? I did one for this year and it really would be pictures of, you know, myself, my husband, family, good friends, and books, because I think, you know, writing this book, Painting Your Path, is just the beginning. Not for this year, but I think more to come with that. And then just community, because something else that I have done very recently, which I don't know if I shared with you, I started a private Facebook group called Self-Care Leadership with Patricia and Clarissa. I started it with a friend to really kind of symbolize the whole coaching community passion project, whatever you want to call it. So I would have, you know, just pictures of groups of women getting together and us just focusing on self-care and also, you know, the leadership dynamic, you know, and just art and just artwork, my artwork up. And that's pretty much what I have (laughs) on my board right now. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, for participating in my quick fire question. (laughs) I love it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you're interested in learning more about Clarissa and her work, you can head over to our website, clarissastudio.com. You can find the link to her site as well as her social channels in the show notes. Until next time, I hope you follow your heart and stay true to your art.